So our reading is from 1 John, chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thanks very much, uh, Tim, for reading for us. And we come back uh, this morning to 1 John. So do keep open that text in front of you, or if you've got a Bible, keep that open in front of you as we'll be looking at it together. But let's ask the Lord for help this morning before we get into it. Look to the verse last week which said this. John says, The life appeared, and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Father, we thank you for the testimony of the Scriptures, the testimony of the Apostles, by which we can come to know the one who is the eternal life. And we pray that we would come to know him, or if we already do, that we would continue in him and find ourselves reassured in the knowledge of eternal life this morning. Amen. Well, let me just start off by talking to you Christians and uh, ask if you just to cast your mind back over the uh, last week or last month and just to think, how many times did you go to bed thinking to yourself, I've cracked it? I had a really good time in the Bible this morning. Then I had a really wonderful time uh, in, in prayer. I didn't snap at my wife or, or my kids once the entire day through. I think that I uh, walk in the light. Has that been your experience, Christian? Or has it been rather different to that? Has your experience of the Christian life been somewhat lacklustre? Now, obviously, if you've been at camp this week, this might be different. Maybe you need to think back. Is it much easier at camp being a Christian? You might need to think about back a bit further. But has your Christian experience felt rather lacklustre? Have you often felt 
defeated, rather disappointed with your lack of progress in the Christian life. To those of you who are not yet uh, Christians, let me just ask you, what is your perception of your Christian friends? Um, When you look at them, what do you think about them? Are you impressed by their spectacular spiritual progress? Or as you look at them, do you see somebody who's rather like you, um, rather struggling with, with different problems, feeling same difficulties, uh, often feeling uh, defeated. Of course, we're, whoever we are, we're aware that there are people out there who make all of these claims to this sort of superior kind of spirituality, and uh, they claim to have life pretty much cracked, don't they? Well, welcome again back to the world of one John. And uh, in John's world, there's there's a church that have gone a bit of a bust up. A group of people have left or departed the church. And it's very, very unsettling for those who are left behind because these are familiar faces and they're making confident claims to a superior spirituality. And as I say, the people left behind are unsettled and shaken up by this. And John writes his goal in writing is really to do two things. He wants to reveal those who, are, who walk in darkness and at the same time reassure those who are genuine Christians who walk in the light. Now before we turn to examine these two groups, I just want to say a little word about John's message and about John's method. We had his message read out to us there in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So John's message, the apostolic message, that there is a God in whom light and darkness do not coexist. But... John writes into a world in which light and darkness do coexist. And this section of the letter that we're looking at that runs right the way through from 1.5 to 2.11, at the beginning and the end and all the way through, you get this light and darkness imagery. And I just want to read to you verse 8 and have a look down if you've got a, got a Bible there and can see it. Because verse 8 says that the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. In other words, though light and darkness don't coexist in God, they do coexist in God's world. So we live at a time of the, the passing darkness as the light has begun to shine and eventually The darkness will pass away, but not yet. And in the here and the now, in this world of passing darkness, there are many claims to know God. There are many claims to superior spirituality, and in particular the claim to know God. And John wants to explore some of those claims in 
in two domains, two areas. The area of sin, which is what we're going to look at uh, this morning, and God willing, the area of love that we'll look at next week from chapter 2, verse 3, through to verse 11. John's message and John's method. You'll notice that John seems to alternate between the negative and the positive as he goes through this. He, he wants to uh, reveal and expose on what the one had. Then he wants to encourage and reassure those who are in, uh, in the light on the other hand. And he does both. He alternates between both, the negative as well as the positive. Back when I was at Theological College, uh, a long time ago now, um, uh, we, we all were given a placement church, and, and one Sunday in our placement church, I was listening to the, the guest uh, preacher for that day, and he was preaching on John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. And um, something was bugging me um, through the sermon, and uh, by the time I got to the end of the sermon, I realized what it was, and so I went to um, speak uh, to the preacher afterwards. Uh, and I said, so something's been bugging me. And my, my real question is, is, why did you mention only the first half of John 14, verse 6, and not the second half? Why did you say, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and, and the life. You taught that. But you've, you didn't mention anything about him saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, he says, I don't believe that. Now, what are we to think of, of that? Well, it's wicked, isn't it? Because without the negative, we cannot really understand the positive. You see, this man was preaching that Jesus was a way to God. Whereas Jesus went to efforts to exclude that interpretation and to claim that he is the way And there is no other way. And so without the negative, you cannot understand the positive. And that's so often the case, that without a a negative, you cannot understand the positive of what the Bible is saying. And we need to beware uh, preachers who only ever teach the positive. So some of you are off to university, uh, looking for a new church there. Beware the preacher who only ever speaks the positive and never the negative. Because without the negative, you won't understand the positive. Do you see? So a couple of words there. First about John's uh, message that darkness and light do not coexist in God, but they do in God's world. And something about John's method as well, that as well as... um, Speaking about the positive, he also wants to speak about the negative. As well as uh, reassuring, he also wants to reveal the false. And that brings us to uh, the first, uh, my first heading, really. Those in the darkness revealed. So those who have left the, the church that John's writing to claim to know God there in verse 6, we have fellowship with God. And that's the the headline claim, the claim to know God, which is then unpacked in two further statements. 
And John does this a few times, and we'll see it again in a moment. So we have fellowship with God. Why? Well, verse 8, because we are without sin. That's their next claim. And verse 10, we have not sinned. Now, where John says, if we claim, it's his way of saying that there are some in the congregation who are precisely making those claims. He's going to, deal with, he's going to bring them out, out front and centre and reveal, reveal them explicitly and directly in, later on in chapter 2. But he's indirectly approaching because there are people who are claiming these things. They are in some way downplaying or denying sin. Now, I think it's pretty impossible to work out exactly what's going on here, in what way they're denying or downplaying sin. But clearly, in some way, they believe that they have victory over sin in their lives, or that, they've, that they're the enlightened ones and they've worked out a pathway by which they can have a special victory over sin. But John's verdict upon them is scathing. Verse 6, what does he say about them? They lie. Verse 8, they deceive themselves. Verse 10, they even make God out to be a liar. Put this together. And John says about them that they claim enlightenment, but actually they walk in darkness, lying to, to others, lying to themselves, and lying about God. People are often uh, making recommendations to me. Uh, I should read this book, or go on this conference, or, or this re- retreat, uh, or listen to this particular preacher. And, and usually they're, they're really uh, helpful. But just occasionally, I just think to myself, this person thinks that this is the key in some way to unlocking the spiritual life, to making a significant progress in spiritual life. If I just read this book, if I just go on this course, if I just listen to this preacher, then I will actually make significant progress in the Christian life. And uh, usually I, I, I see through that. But nonetheless, there's something that kind of gnaws at me when somebody says something like that. Um, it kind of just unsettles me a little bit. Because like every believer, I long to be shot of sin in my life. Every true be- believer, you see, is painfully aware of, aware of their own failings and their own sins. I wish it weren't the case, but it is the case. And when somebody comes along and points out the imperfections, well, we say to ourselves, don't we, you don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it, mate. I'm way worse than you, than you think I am. And even mature Christians, people who have been Christians for decades, uh, are unsettled by these kind of claims that come along. I think, am I, am I really a Christian? I look at my life and I seem to make so little spiritual progress. And other people seem to 
they seem at least to be making great progress. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I need what they have. And John comes along and says, what they have is this, a mouthful of lies. John reveals that when people come along and they claim to have victory over sin, in this dark world, they show themselves to be those who themselves walk in darkness. Now, I think if you're a person who's, who is aware of your own sin and struggles with your own sin, and if you're a Christian, you'll find all of this very reassuring. But the next part, I think, will be even more reassuring, even more encouraging for you. This is our second heading this morning, Those in the Light Reassured. As before, uh, there's a headline statement there in verse 7, if we walk in the light. And then John unpacks with two further subheadings, if you like, what it, what it means to walk in the light. Who are those who walk in the light? Well, they are those, verse 9, who confess our sins. And chapter 2, verse 1, they are those who sin. If anybody does sin. Now, John is in no way promoting or permitting sin here. But what he is saying is that the person who walks in the light is marked by two things. Confession of sin and sin committed, committing of sin. Let me ask you, if, if you are a Christian, before you became a follower of Jesus Christ, before he came into your life, were you aware that you had a sin problem? Now, my guess is fleetingly at best. You probably were aware that you had done wrong things, that you had done things which disrupted and perhaps even destroyed relationships horizontally, but I doubt you were very much aware that the way you lived had a vertical dimension to it. And now that you are a Christian and perhaps have been a Christian for a few years, do you feel less sinful today than you did a year ago? Maybe as you look back over the last year, you might think to yourself, well, I've made some progress um, I've been working on self-control and I'm actually, by God's grace, a little bit more self-controlled this year than I was last year. But then you, you look at your life and, and another sin has popped up, maybe lust or, or anger and you're battling like that. And it's, it's a bit like you're, you're playing a game of whack-a-mole. So one sin pops up, you whack it on the head, and then another one pops up, and you whack that, and then another one, and maybe the old one uh, popped up as, as well, and it seems like you're doing this forever. Well, welcome to what it feels like 
to walk in the light in this passing darkness. Isn't this reassuring? That the true believer is characterized not by sinlessness, but by ongoing sin that is lamented and confessed. What is John's verdict upon people like that? Verse 7, the blood of Jesus, which is shorthand for the death of Jesus, purifies us from all sin. Verse 9, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The person who walks in the light doesn't claim to be righteous. In fact, they know that they're not righteous, but they know that they have fellowship with a righteous God. Why? Because that righteous God has made provision for their sins. In Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now even um, many secular psychologists realize that uh, we have a dark side. That people like Jung would, would claim that we have a shadow side to our personality. Something that's often hidden and usually uh, negative. But of course they, can, they conceive of that in, again, horizontal terms and they neglect the fact that actually that negative side is expressed vertically. That The shadow side of us doesn't just interfere and interrupt and destroy our horizontal relationships, but it actually destroys that vertical relationship and fellowship with God himself. That is our biggest problem. Our biggest problem isn't our relationships with one another. It is our relationship with a God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all. That's our problem. But that same God has made provision for our sins. If we come to him and confess our sins, if we come to the cross of Jesus, there is atonement so that God's righteous wrath at our sin can be removed. And so that our unrighteousness, our guilt, can also be removed. Now, of course, those who downplay or deny sin, well, of course, they're not going to come to the cross. They're not going to value the cross, are they? Because they don't need the cross. That's the point, you see. No cross, no fellowship with God. So it's very concerning when we see those or see in ourself a downplaying of sin or a denial of sin. This can happen as in evangelical churches as they become uh, more liberal. And of course, it's all well-intentioned. The, the church wants to engage with the, with the world out there. So the, the church says, right, what we'll do is we'll, we'll focus upon social issues. And sin is downplayed, and if you downplay sin, therefore the cross is downplayed. And if you downplay the cross, 
then you obliterate fellowship with God. And do we not detect it in ourselves when we're having conversations with people? We so want our friends to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ that the thought of sin and, and the cross, it just, it's just awkward. So we feel ourselves pulling back from mentioning those things. But no sin, no need of the cross, no fellowship with God. So let's not be shy about talking about sin. And especially because our message doesn't end there, of course. God has made provision for our sins. Not in um, some kind of saving formula, but in a saving person, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the one who has made atonement for our past sins and who is our advocate as we continue to sin in the present. In his book about Christ's heart for sinners, Dane Ortland writes this, Consider your own life. How do you think about Jesus' attitude to that dark pocket of your life that only you know about? The overdependence upon alcohol. The lost temper time and again. The shady business about your finances. The inveterate people pleasing that looks to others like niceness but which you know to be fear of man. The entrenched resentment that bursts out in behind the back accusations. The habitual use of pornography. And he asks, in those moments, when you're aware of those things and you ponder those things, who is Jesus to you at that moment? What does John say? John says that Jesus is our advocate at that moment. He is the one uh, who leaps to our defense, so to speak, before the Father. And so however loud our conscience condemns and crushes us, his voice prevails and speaks louder before the Father. Those who walk in darkness claim they have no sin. They claim they have no need of confession of sin. They claim they have no need of a mediator because they have direct access to God. Of course they do, because they have no sin. But those who walk in light, in the light, are very aware that they are sinners and they confess that sin. And they are very aware that they need a mediator in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is, you see, the provision for our sins. And not only for our sins, says John, for the sins of the whole world. The truth, says John, is that there is a universal need for Jesus and his atonement. Jesus is, you see, the way, 
No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No one. Now this verse isn't a proof text for universal atonement. It is a proof text for the universal need of atonement. If you're going to be forgiven, then the only way you're going to be forgiven and have fellowship with God, the only way for everyone, everywhere, is through Jesus. And there is no other way. God has made provision for our sins, but not only for us, for also for the sins of the whole world. For anybody who will come to the cross, there is provision for your sins. And John says, if you deny that you have sin, if you deny that you have need of Jesus, then you walk in the darkness. So let me sum up. Those who walk in the light know that they have a sin problem. They confess it and find God's provision, a complete provision in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. They and they alone, says John, have fellowship with the God who is light and in whom there is no darkness. Let's pray together. Father, as we read the words that we have a God who is light and in whom there is no darkness, it causes us to tremble because we we know that we are full of sin. But we marvel that we read on and we find that there is a fellowship made possible by Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our atonement and our advocate. We pray that you would help us to uncover our sin before you and to find the forgiveness and the purification and the fellowship that we so desperately need. Amen.